Good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this kind of like chilly January morning here in Ridgefield at Go Church. Um, my name is Dustin Payne, and as Tolly mentioned earlier, I am the church planter in resident here at Go Church. Um, I planted a church back in Texas, and we are here again to plant a church in America's favorite city, Portland, Oregon. Uh, Mark and Christy are out in Oaxaca, Mexico uh, this week uh, to visit uh, their daughter, who is a missionary with the International Mission Board. And so as we have experienced frost and snow, I'm sure they've gotten sunlight and heat. And so um, if you too want to visit a missionary, please talk to Mark when he gets back. I'm sure he can set us up. Uh, Christmas was just a week ago, and we didn't have a chance to meet last week because we got uh, a bit of snow. And so <clears throat> in keeping with the season, I thought maybe that our first sermon for 2022 might be just what happens right after the birth of Jesus. Uh, and that is Matthew chapter 2 and the wise men from the east. And so with that, um, I want to ask this question this morning about what is wisdom? How do I obtain wisdom? Uh, generally, when I prepare for a sermon, I try to get as much information and data as I can. And a lot of that revolves around getting a definition. The problem with getting a definition for wisdom is we don't really have one. Uh, there's different philosophers who argue about what wisdom is. There's memes on the internet that tell you what wisdom is. And then there is kind of this intuitive, natural thing that you might think is wisdom that you experience from time to time when you have a brief insight. An example, um, I live in Portland, Oregon, and there are three garbage cans. There is trash, there is recyclables, and there's compost. Certain things go in each box. But you would think the rules would be simple, that all plastics would go in recycles. But this is not so. This is not so. And so what you end up doing is spending a lot of time learning a bunch of things that don't matter. Now, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm for recycling, but I was told as soon as I got here that all of our recycling still goes into just a landfill which I immediately just was filled with rage that I'm having to sort through my trash every week when it all is all going to the same sort of place. And I thought at some point this week as I was unwrapping, and if you live here, this is, a, this is a new feeling that you don't feel in Texas. It's the feeling of opening a brand new electronics and then getting this big piece of styrofoam that makes you feel so bad. People in Texas won't understand that. They won't understand the bane of styrofoam. But there is something about wisdom that is kind of hard to explain. And yet this sermon will try to do that very thing. And so before we get into what is wisdom and what is going on with the wise men of the East in Matthew chapter 2, I thought since it was the new year, we would just take a brief break and talk about New Year's resolutions. And so I brought some statistics and failure rates of resolutions, in case you made some, <clears throat> that you might be encouraged and uplifted in this season. And so with that, um, the success failure rates over the first six months uh, of those keeping New Year's resolutions, after one week, 75% are successful. You would say that's pretty good, but we're talking about literally one week. A quarter of the people fail. 
You would think that it would be higher. One week, you made it a week ago. He couldn't even do that, man. But after two weeks, it gets a little better. The number drops to 71%. So that you're doing pretty good. I was always a C student. You too can pass a New Year's resolution. And then um, after one month, it drops to 64%. And then after six months, 46% who made the resolution are still going. That's pretty good. So it actually all the statistics say that something like about half the people who make resolutions, who set a goal and fix their mind on it at the beginning of the year, that about half of them actually achieve that goal. Um, the overall rate, it says it turns out that about 35% of participants uh, who set New Year's resolutions who failed said that their goals were unrealistic. They, 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 just, they dreamed too big. They, they picked a number that was just too big to reach. Or, or 33% who failed, they didn't keep track of their progress. And so every time they were actually making progress, they didn't actually feel like they were moving towards that goal. Uh, and then what's interesting is 23% of people just forgot their resolutions. Which, if you made resolutions last year, do you remember them? Uh, and this is the one that I find the most interesting, that about one in 10 people who failed said that they had made too many resolutions. And if you're that person today who just wants to change that much, we have Jesus. <laughs> so now, maybe you're this person and you've made a resolution, you want to get to the gym more, or you want to read your Bible more, or you want to pray more this year. Uh, but I was hoping that together we could have a church resolution that we could all set and focus on one goal this year, and that in 2022, that we would get wisdom. Now you say, well, that's, that's really simple, but Proverbs 4, 7 says that the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. It's almost like this no-nonsense statement, this thing we can't explain, or we can't talk about. It's like, well, just go get it. If you want wisdom, go and get it. And then he says, well, whatever you do, just make sure you get insight. Oh, okay. Uh, but there is a difference, right, between knowledge and wisdom. We know that. There's a difference between knowing data and information and forming that knowledge and being wise. I think we all know intelligent people who act quite foolishly. And I think we all know at least one fool who has been wise at one point or another. Um, I have a photo of this pumpkin orange VW bug. It's a 1974 Volkswagen Super Beetle. This was my second car. Uh, the first car didn't make it. That was my fault. The second car didn't make it. That was its fault. Um, this car was notorious at breaking down. Um, when I bought it, I was just explaining to Keith, it had holes in the pan, we had to fill it, the engine broke down a lot, and, and you know that actually the engine in this car is in the trunk, that this was the first real frunk. This one has a frunk, you can open it up, and that's where you can store stuff in. I was explaining to Keith, it was really simple to repair and fix, um, but the car just broke down incessantly, and I was about 16 years old. And it was Halloween night, which was fitting for the color, so I could drive around in my uh, Cinderella pumpkin across the Halloween Eve. 
And I remember it breaking down and I had to go and fix it. And I called my 13-year-old brother out and I said, Bronson, hey man, it's not turning over. Can you just come over here and start the keys of the car while I'm trying to figure out what's wrong? It's a big mistake. I, I think Keith already knows where he's maybe going. That I'm having my brother, I'm like down on my knees in the, in the, the trunk of the car where the engine is. I'm having my brother crank it. And then just like that, my hand gets wrapped up into the belt, which was just enough kind of, uh, of an object to stop the car completely. My hand stuck between the belt and uh, the engine, at which point just utter panic just fills you. And I just start screaming. And I start pulling my hand and it's just stuck. And I'm screaming because it hurts, right? It's getting crushed. And I'm like screaming and I'm yelling. And, and then all my, my, my brother, I can't see him. He can't see me, but I can only imagine what's going through his head. Is that like, oh my gosh, I was cranking this car. And now my brother's screaming and yelling. And like all this time goes by, it feels like forever. And then just a moment of panic, I'm just like, ah, help. And then what's he do? He starts the car again. <laughs> Which is exactly what needed to happen because it released my hand from the belt, pushed it all the way through. Now, with that said, <laughs> my finger was detached. They sewed it back on, though, so it's okay. Uh, it, that's true. Uh, it feels mostly okay. Um, I broke my other finger in the panic trying to pull it out. I actually broke my own finger out of, like, just sheer panic, right? Um, but I reflect back often on that, that if you would have asked me with my hand caught in an engine, Dustin, what's the right thing to do right now? I would just say, get it out. And at some point in God's whispers of wisdom, as he approaches all of us at some point or another, he whispers to my brother, turn the keys again. There's something about wisdom we, we don't understand. It doesn't make sense sometimes. Um, I'll give you another Pacific Northwest wisdom-ish I'm picking up. Uh, you guys have a lot of geese here. So I guess I'm here now. We have a lot of geese. Geese is not something I'm used to seeing. And I saw like 200 geese flying. I was driving on the highway, so 200 geese flying. And I was with my wife and my kids. And all of a sudden, you know, there's the one out front. And they all land by this tree in, the, midi, in like the, the middle of the highway. And they all came down there. I turned to my wife and I said, I said, you know, how do they all know like, like that that's where they're going to land? Like this one tree on the highway. How do they know they got here? My wife just turned over without even batting an eye and said the alpha goose. And it got me thinking. That in the pastoral staff, if Mark is the alpha dog, I'm the alpha goose. <laughs> and, and I was just thinking that throughout this, that wisdom, again, it just doesn't make sense. What does, I mean, if you read Ecclesiastes, what does make the geese land on the highway? What does, uh, what, what is really wisdom made of? And with all of that, we can read the Bible. <laughs> So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus w was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The magi, as we call them. Uh, some, we sing songs, the three kings. Um, we don't know actually how many wise men there were. The Bible just says that 
there were wise men. It could be as few as two or as many as you could count. The reason we think there's three is because they brought three gifts, but that could have been any number of wise people from the east who came to visit Jesus. Uh, And we don't really know much about where they're from or who they are. There's no countries named. Uh, The only references in the Bible to magi that we have are the magicians in uh, the Exodus who war against Moses at the release of Israel, uh, or um, Daniel and his friends who were tossed in the fiery furnace who were uh, given the title of magician by uh, their Babylonian king. And indeed, Babylon was east of Jerusalem. And so the wisdom of the east could, in fact, be coming from a place of Jewish heritage, from a time when those people were in exile. It could be a people who had been waiting for a Messiah that were of the people but weren't. That's who it could have been. But it doesn't really matter because whoever these individuals were, in light of the person of Jesus and what Jesus is doing, it doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't name the wise men because in the reality of Jesus, they're dumb. That before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you and your wisdom look foolish. And this is something about following Jesus that each of us experiences. And that is when we realize that we in our ways are wrong. That what we try to do and the path that we lay out is often in error or in destruction. And before the king of Jesus, whoever you are, whatever your identity is, it all fades away. And instead you're given a new life, a new wisdom, a new sort of identity. And so in verse 2 it says, as they came into Jerusalem, they started saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rose and we have come to worship him. And this is really fascinating. They say we saw his star. And it doesn't work for us modern readers because we don't understand like what that would even mean, that he would have a star. Uh, but, But scripture calls Jesus the morning star. His physical presence has a heavenly mirror and a heavenly reality that when Jesus is born, it's reflected in the parallel cosmos, that there's something in heaven and earth that happens at the same time. And we know this from Genesis that God creates man and woman to rule the earth, to have dominion over the earth. And then he creates uh, the actual, the stars and the sun and the moon to have dominion over the heavens, to be symbols and signs for the season. And so in this idea of heaven and earth paralleling together, that what happens on earth has a heavenly parallel, so too when Jesus is incarnation, when God steps foot on the earth, it has a direct relation to what happens in the heavens. And this is exactly what happens when we say that you're like dead in your sin. When Paul says that you're dead in your sin, it's the promise of Eden that when we sinned, we became dead. Though on earth we were still alive. That something happened to you in your heavenly self. That something mirrored in the supernatural got disconnected from God. That when you sin, you take part in something you don't quite understand. You're removing yourself from God's goodness and his holiness and his safety and you are dead. And this is in the same way that Jesus can die for your sins and you be made alive. That somehow what God does in the heavenlies translates to the earth. And this is all happening when the wise men are like, we see something in the heavens happening because this kid was born. 
And we've read this book of wisdom that says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. We saw his star. And so in verse 3, it said when Herod the king heard this, and Herod was literally the king of the Jews... Um, When he heard this, he was troubled, and it said all of Jerusalem with him. Like the very power structures of their kingdom are going to be inverted. Two kings at once. And so in verse 4, it says, And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So when he gets his wise men together, it says he pulls them together. He said, Where is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one? Where is he supposed to be born? And they say, Well, uh, you know, in Bethlehem of Judea, because it was written by the prophet hundreds of years ago, that you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler... Who will shepherd the people of Israel? So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Herod is going to stop at nothing to stop God. It's what those who live in fear do, is that they try to take control. When God does something in your life that you're not thrilled about, this is exactly what you do. You try to take control of what's going on. Uh, My son Aaron had a uh, a very bad illness when he was six. He was in the hospital. It was not looking great. He had emergency surgery at 2 a.m. And he was in the hospital for two weeks at six years old. He spent his sixth, sixth birthday there. And I remember the feelings of going through this because what had happened was all of my illusions of control had been removed. Because there was nothing I could do about it. My son's in the hospital and I'm just sitting there crying out, God, will you do something? And what I did at my house was insane. And this is exactly what people do though. They take control. I went around and started fixing every little thing. Like if if there was a light fixture, I replaced it. Like I got light bulbs out. You know that bulb that's been out in your ceiling fan for five years? Like I replaced it, right? And I had three light bulbs in it, not just two, right? I went through every single thing because I was just trying to feel like there was something in my life life I could have control over. And this is what's going on in Herod's life. That at the promises of God, he is threatened and challenged. His position, his place, and his personality are all going to be challenged by baby Jesus. That the star that's in the heavens is declaring something that's happening on earth. That there is a new kingdom. That there's a new wisdom That there is a new way that people are going to live. And if you were going to write one thing down today, it would be this key phrase. that, That humility is essential to wisdom. That if you want to be wise to learn wisdom, you first must learn humility. I mean, because if you think through about Herod, the approach he takes is the opposite. It's arrogance, control. To fight the prophets and God. To secretly ascertain so he might thwart the plans of God. And this is what it says in verse 8. It said, And Herod sent them to Bethlehem saying this. He said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I might come and worship him too. Now, Herod is literally, again, the king of the Jews. He is the king 
of Judah. Now, he's in Roman occupation. Like, if you've ever read the Bible and you're like, what's Herod doing here? And then we have Pontius Pilate. Like, Israel's been conquered by Rome, but there's still a kind of a a, a semi-autonomous state, and they have their own king. And I think that when you look at Herod, you see someone who is, like, he's Jewish. He's king of the Jews. He's king of Israel, but not quite. He looks like what you would expect a king to look like. He has the values a Jew would have had. And I, and I think, you know, I was reading this this week, and I think, and I was just thinking about our life here in America, that there are a lot of people in American culture who are like cultural kings. You know, they look the part, they say the words, but they want you to go and find it. Well, you find that and then you tell me and I'll follow. But, but the thing about wisdom is that those who seek it find it. And that if you really knew who Jesus was, you would seek and, seek and search for him yourself. You wouldn't have others do it. It's what Proverbs 8.13 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. That, that wisdom, the fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here it says that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And so this wisdom, it hates arrogance. It says that pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. And there's something then about following Jesus and experiencing wisdom that is tied deeply to humility and making yourself low. That's why the apostles committed themselves to one another, the breaking of bread and prayer in Acts. It's why Paul continually tells the church to be united and to strive for unity above all else and to outdo one another in honor. And then in Proverbs 8.17, wisdom says, in the lady wisdom, she says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently, they find me. The wise men of the East, they're searching. They're seeking the greatest wisdom of God. And the promise of Scripture is that they do find wisdom. They'll find the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, who himself arrives in humility. A child. Born in a manger. Verse 9, it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, that very star that brought them there in the first place, that they saw when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Highlighting where Jesus is born, where he's at, where he's living. It's like a portal of heaven and earth lay open in Bethlehem. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Regardless of Herod, right? God will not be thwarted. Whatever enemies lie in your life, God has a plan. 
He has ways that go around them. And the people who try to take control and go against the Lord, he creates new ways. And so all of Eastern wisdom comes into this house. All of the wise men of the East, whether it was two or a hundred, I don't know. And it says they fell down and worshipped him. And who is he? A young toddler being held by a young mother. The king of heaven made flesh. This is just some level of humility that I don't think we know. But if we want to experience wisdom, we have to follow Jesus and experience humility. We have to be humble like our king was humble. The story is only 12 verses, but I think this is the key part of understanding wisdom. And, and I, you're like, well, Dustin, you haven't really talked about wise men. But what does that mean? You know, the, so this is, this is really important. If you ever wondered, I, I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, what are the gifts about Frank Gold, Frankincense, and Myrrh? When I was a child, I thought Frankincense had something to do with Frankenstein. It's not. Spoilers. It's the gifts they bring Jesus are the same gifts that King Solomon has brought when people were searching for his wisdom. This is 1 Kings 10.23. It says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. And there's a key line here. Which God had put into his mind. Solomon didn't just have a humanly wisdom. He had a divine, supernatural, godly wisdom put into his mind by the Lord. And it says that every one of them brought his presence. Articles of silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, like frankincense, horses and mules, and so much year by year. That, that the kings of the world would come before Solomon to hear his wisdom and bring him frankincense, gold, and myrrh, as well as horses and mules and silver, just to hear his wisdom that God gave him. And, and so it seems to be that when we approach Jesus, I know we often approach him as Lord and Savior, but what about approaching him as wisdom? Paul says in Corinthians that Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Isn't that fascinating? In Proverbs, it says that God created the earth with wisdom. And then later in John, it said that in the beginning was the word that all things were made by and through him. That the very word, God's wisdom, Jesus Christ, was by which all things on heaven and earth were created. And then now, the wise men and the kings of the east come and they offer frankincense, gold, and myrrh just to be in the presence of that king and his wisdom. And this just falls back on us because if we want to follow me and make a resolution this year to get wisdom, how do we go about doing that? I think humility is certainly part of it. But we have to get Jesus. We have to make his priorities our priorities. We have to surrender to him our frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Our spices and our riches, all the things we work for and work towards. 
We even surrender our identity, who we think we are. Our position, our power, and our personality. But they're not like washed away. They're made better. There's something about Jesus Christ that changes and transforms you supernaturally. And I think this is somehow where we find ourselves going wrong, is that we start to think that wisdom and knowledge are the same things. And so people come to church and they just try to know more. Well, if I just knew more scripture, well, if I just knew more, the whole is endless. If I just knew the languages, Greek and Hebrew, this is the route I went down. And so then I went to seminary and I spent three years and I learned Greek and Hebrew. And then you learn, well, there's textual variants. And you need to learn, like, you have to read the, these and these. And you have to figure out which one's which. And you have to pick. And then, well, then you start to try to do that. And you realize, well, of course, then you have to think about Aramaic and what they would have spoken. Not necessarily what was just written. The search for knowledge is endless. But the search for wisdom is over. It came to us through Jesus Christ. And here in the church, I think you might be wrong if you think that somehow you can just learn it. But this is a baby and a king that you have to know, that you have to experience, that you have to receive and surrender to. And I think some people come into the church and their attitude is, find him and tell me where he is and I'll come and worship him. But the real Jesus Christ is present with us. He sits in this very church. He is with you wherever you go. He is your king and your Lord. And you can really know him. Not know about him, but know him. And the power that outflows from his resurrection. And that's where we could go wrong. But where does the world go wrong with wisdom? The world thinks that wisdom is inside of you. The world believes that if you just searched yourself, that deep inside of it, you would find true and real wisdom. Which is ironic because the quest for wisdom always has, a, has us going to others. Socrates and Plato... It has us going to academic institutions, listening to great minds. But the world says, well, no, just look deep inside yourself. And they equate happiness with wisdom. Uh, what's really fascinating is that in uh, psychology, they took all these rats and they uh, put them in the cage and they gave it uh, a thing of water that had morphine. And the rat could just touch the button and get morphine out of the water and it would feel really good. The problem is, is that all the rats died because they just hit the button until they had an overdose of morphine. Because what feels good isn't always the wisest thing to do. What the world says is wisdom seems like foolishness. William Shakespeare said, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows him to be a fool. Socrates said, The only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing. Both of these take from our Bible, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If any one of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly, is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. 
Jesus became the wisdom of God by whom and through whom we receive wisdom, life, hope, redemption, and resurrection. And really, in light of that, the world does seem foolish. This is what Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and on. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful, and not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to to shame that wisdom. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to resolute with me to get wisdom, to get Jesus, to experience real wisdom in unbelievable ways through humility, redemption, rescue, resurrection. That you would know what you don't know. That he was your wisdom. That though he might be a baby among wise men of the east, he was always their king. And so in 2021, my prayer for you, Go Church, my prayer for you as an individual is Proverbs 4, 7. Get wisdom. And you know what? Whatever you can get, get insight. That you would get Jesus, that you would experience his healing power and his hope that he gave to you by giving up himself. That you might experience his wisdom, his ways in this world. And so if you would bow with me to Jesus, our wisdom. Lord, you created the heavens and the earth through Jesus Christ, and then you gave him to us. You blessed us with real wisdom that we can't quite understand. Lord, and though we foolishly pursue knowledge as if it were the chief of all things, we know that wisdom is more precious than jewels, that it's really the most we should ever desire to obtain, and that wisdom is your son, Jesus that it recreates us and it renews us and it restores us, that your power and your son provides in us healing, just the the supernatural healing of God. Uh, As we as a church seek you, Lord, I ask that you would fulfill your promise and give us that wisdom, that we would seek and know your son, Jesus, that we would experience your salvation and your resurrection, your redemption and your holiness. Uh, that we would know you and know you deeply. We praise and thank you that you would bless this year, 2022, would be a year of real wisdom for this church body. We thank you. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.